0: Welcome to I Think You're Interesting. I'm Todd Vanderwerf, the I, and I Think You're Interesting. We're doing something a little different this week. Not wildly different, but a little different. Uh, I love the movie Chasing Coral, which is a documentary on Netflix, which is, I think, one of the better climate change documentaries I've ever seen. The problem with the climate change documentary is that it's so easy to make the problem seem insurmountable. And even if the problem of slowing climate change or turning it back entirely is insurmountable-like, that can be a hard space to live in for the length of a movie. But you also don't want to suggest that solutions are going to be super easy. What I like about Chasing Coral is that it turns the process of learning about climate change into kind of an adventure. Like, it's an undersea story. It's about people who dive and see the coral reefs sort of dying away. And what happens when they decide to do something about that. It doesn't offer easy solutions, but it does suggest there are ways forward. It's it's not like going to be a lecture. It's more of a visual presentation of what's happening beneath the waves of oceans around the world. It's fascinating to look at. It has really thought about how to tell this story of climate change in a visual fashion. And I, I, if you haven't seen it yet, I think you'd like it, especially if you're listening to this podcast. But what we're going to do is talk to one of the guys who inspired the film. His name is Richard Beavers. He's a former advertising guy who left that world to become an undersea photographer and is now sort of one of the people leading the charge to make us aware of what's happening to our coral reefs at this moment in time. Richard's a really fascinating guy. He's led a fascinating life. He has some tales from beneath the waves to tell us, in addition to talking about what the fight against climate change is going to look like. So I'm really excited to welcome Richard to the program. Richard, thank you for coming by. Well, thank you. I, I kind of want to get the backstory of this, because it's explained really well in the film, but for our listeners who haven't seen the film, uh, tell me a little bit about how you came to uh, sort of this process of of tracing the death of coral reefs.
1: Well, really, it's um, it's a, a story that started off in in the advertising industry. Mm-hmm. So I did about 10 years working in London advertising agencies, and then suddenly had a bad meeting and decided to become an underwater photographer. Um That then led into this real discovery of what was happening underwater. Mm -hmm. Um, I worked with a lot of conservation organizations and realized a lot of the issues happening underwater were really communication issues. Um, People just can't see what's happening. Um, 99.9% of people don't dive. Mm. And so we decided we'd set up a not-for-profit organization to reveal the oceans. Yeah, yeah. How bad was this bad meeting? Like, (laughs) I've had some bad meetings in my time. (laughs) Well, I think I've been uh, up for about 48 hours. Okay. We were working on, I think, a a toilet tissue campaign, and it was about four-ply toilet tissue rather than three-ply toilet tissue. Um, And what are the benefits? Yeah. And at that point, you kind of struggle to understand what you're doing. In this meeting, um, <laughs> yeah. and that was the end of the line for my my advertising career. <laughs> it's
0: it's interesting to me because one of the first things you say in the film is that you you started out in advertising, and to me that's not like a natural fit with you know champion for the the underwater world. Like, tell me how you see those two things fitting together. What makes being having that background in advertising a, a fit for like trying to save coral reefs?
1: Well, I certainly sort of feel like an accidental conservationist. <laughs> um, it was never my intention. Now. Um, you look at conservationists, and and it's a hard life. Um, often you're tackling big, um, depressing issues, mm. um, but it was really the the journey that I went on where you realised one of the missing um, links, really, in conservation is is great communication, mm-hmm. um, and. Having that background made me realize, especially when it comes to ocean conservation, that's so, so important. People just aren't engaged with the oceans, and and we need to engage people.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I I don't know anything about coral, uh, basically beyond what I saw in the film. Like, what, what did you understand about coral? What did you know about coral before you started this process? And, like, what's the most interesting thing you've learned about it in the time that you've been working on it?
1: Well, fortunately, through the um, making of the film, I've met some of the best coral reef scientists in the world. So Mm -hmm. I started off this whole project with very little understanding, like most people. You jump into the ocean when you're on holiday and you see some corals and you go, oh, isn't that beautiful? And yes, I knew that they were animals, um, but I didn't know much more than that. Mm -hmm. But it was really meeting people like Dr. Ruth Gates, who explained the the detail of just how corals work, and and they are such sophisticated animals that um, they don't even have a lifespan. Yeah. So they can live almost indefinitely, yeah. unless their environment changes, and they have this ability to live in these environments with hardly any nutrients in the water, um, because they convert sunlight by growing little plant-like animals in their in their flesh. Right. Um, and just amazing, amazing creatures, mm. and especially when you look at them on a microscopic level, and you see the movement and the color and and just how they work, they're incredible.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now it's it's kind of like so. My understanding from the film is, and I may have this terribly wrong, but it's like they're tiny organisms, but they're also this like gigantic organism. Like like the whole is also all of its parts. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, and and they have these. Um, Elements called polyps, right? And mm-hmm. the polyp can then reproduce, and it's it's like a a mouth, mm. um, and then it reproduces and, and and reproduces again. So they can turn into these huge, huge animals that uh, grow over hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. Um, so some of the um, you know corals that we have visited um, just over the last sort of few years have been. Truly huge. I mean, some of the largest animals in the ocean. Yeah. Um, and they've been living for such a long period of time. Yet, don't people don't really understand that they're even animals at all?
0: Yeah. So the the thing that kind of got me interested in this subject was last year there was a series of headlines that said the, the Great Barrier Reef is dead. Uh, and then there were a series of other headlines that said it's actually you know just kind of on life support. It's not dead yet. Uh, can you take us into that uh, that world? Like, like, what's going on with the Great Barrier Reef, and like, how alarmed should we be?
1: Oh, we should be very alarmed. Mm-hmm. Um, the front line of climate change really is coral reefs. Yeah. Um, so you look at the Great Barrier Reef, and we've lost nearly fifty percent of the corals mm-hmm. in the last two years. Mm-hmm. That's just an unbelievable loss of life. Yeah. And it's not just the corals; it's all the animals that rely on on coral reefs. So. For the Great Barrier Reef, it's it's like all reefs around the world. Something like 25% of marine life relies on coral reefs, and yet we've had such massive loss. And this is climate change. Mm. Um, That's the problem. So we've heated the oceans to such a degree that it's like the oceans are are in a state of fever when it comes to coral reefs, and it only takes a little nudge over the edge for uh, the animals to die on mass. And so... That's the, the big scale of the problem. We've had a third global bleaching event, which is where the animals essentially lose the plants that are in their flesh mm. and they become clear and you see their skeleton, which is why it's called bleaching, and they're dying on mass.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: We'll we'll come back to such joyful topics in a bit, Um, (laughs) but
0: give me. I want to go into your backstory a little bit. Like, when when was your first dive? Do you remember the first time you you went under the water and and saw the sort of the beauty of the ocean and like what that moment was like?
1: Well, I wouldn't say it was the beauty of the the ocean. Um, My first dive was in in a rather. Uh, dirty swimming pool, and, and you're just looking at, at, at plasters on the at the floor. But um, I just was in love with the concept of breathing underwater. Yeah. And so it was the first opportunity I got when I was 16. I think it was pretty much on my 16th birthday. Um, I went and, and did this scuba diving course. But then you go, um, you go from the swimming pool into a quarry in England, <laughs> which is slightly more glamorous. I yeah. think they had one fish. Um, but I was in love with that. Experience. Um, so, when I actually got to a coral reef, it was just like my mind was blown. It yeah. was going to an alien planet on our own planet with life that you didn't even know existed. Yeah, it was magnificent. Do you remember the first reef you dived at? Do you remember some of the things you saw? Uh, the first uh, reef I, I dived at really was um, in Cuba, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and and it was spectacular. I mean, you're when you jump in the water and you see such. Big life, and you don't know um, whether it's a threat or whether or not it's it's friendly. Um, you see such incredible little critters everywhere that are just brightly coloured. You don't even know what they're meant to be doing. Yeah, um, it's just um, an overload of of a sensory overload. Yeah, um, and wherever you look, there's just um, incredible life. Yeah,
0: what like what? I assume you've done this for many years now. What what keeps you coming back to it? Like what? Um, especially as uh, it's become more of um it's become more of your calling to sort of alert people to what's going on.
1: Well, initially, I, I got into this with the idea that wouldn't it be fun to reveal the oceans? Yeah, wouldn't it be fun to design a camera that takes Google Street View underwater and I could travel around the world with my team uh, to some of the best places in the world? and And so that was the adventure, which then turned into, a, a massive scientific survey, which was the Catlin Seaview Survey, where we realized the cameras that we um, had designed would be really revolutionary for the, the, the science, mm. being able to record these reefs at scale. Yeah. And we used, worked with the University of Queensland on, on that project. Um, and really that became... A, a way of learning about what was happening in the oceans at scale, yeah. which is one of the, the traditionally difficult things is most divers wouldn't have any issue of what's going on because they're only taken to the the great places. Yeah. So even if a, an area dies, um, they won't be visiting it. Yeah. So you don't get to see it. But we saw reefs on a whole different scale. We were doing six kilometers underwater with underwater scooters in a day. Yeah. And you go around and suddenly you see what is actually happening. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, can you tell me a little bit about like the process of underwater photography? because you show in the film you show footage from coral reefs like from forty years ago or something. and it's you know it's it's a lot grainier. it's a lot harder to see in some ways, even if you can see the colors. Uh, and now it's so much more sharper and and crystal clear like what has what has changed about underwater photography and made it uh, made it better?
1: Well, one of the, the the tricky things about underwater is, I mean, it is a difficult environment for photography. Mm-hmm. You lose certainly um, wavelengths yeah. um, as soon as you get below even a, a meter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to photograph that well needs sort of new technology um, that can capture um, those locations in a in a way that is, is really sort of meaningful so that it can engage people. When you go down, it's very different from the photographs you used to see right. when you brought up. It, it just looks blue and, and there's, there's um, it, it doesn't look interesting. But fortunately, with 360-degree photography, it allows you to get up close to subjects, right. capture that colour, and show a landscape yeah. really for the first time properly and the epicness of being underwater. And so the camera that we developed, we suddenly realized was just this an incredible communication tool for be able to not just reveal underwater environments and get people excited by the ocean, but also to show exactly what was happening. Yeah. When you're going on one of these, like I guess I'm gonna use the word drive, even
0: though it's probably not accurate, like drives on the scooter, um, and you're like you're like tootling along to six kilometers, like what are the things that you get to see? Like what's the because when we when I, I've gone on a couple dives and you see just like a snapshot of the ocean, like what what do you start to see
1: as you're able to take in more of that picture? Well, the um, we've been fortunate enough to go to some of the most remote places right. where the the ecosystems are pristine. Mm-hmm. So the far great um, northern barrier reef was one of my favorite locations where we we jumped in and as soon as you jump in with the camera, you're buzzed by sharks. They oh. come up from the deep. Um, and they're attracted by um you coming to the area. Oh, wow, and they just turn at last minute, almost flip you with their tails. Yeah. Um, and so that's your entry point. You then start off, you start your underwater scooter, and this then hugs the reef at ten meters depth, and you'll find it attracts life. yeah, um, so you'll find yourself with a manta ray swimming alongside you or turtles. And you're going from one location to the next location. So you might find it's a pristine bit of reef with incredible life. And you turn the next corner, and for some reason it might have been a storm, there's devastation.
2: Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it makes you look at diving in a completely different way because it is so varied underwater. Yeah. We just always picture this, there's just reefs are all the same, and they're not.
0: So, hey, I've been married for forever, like half of my life forever at this point, because people get married very young where I'm from. My wife and I have always secretly wanted to do the personality tests on eHarmony.com to see if it would match us up with each other. I like to think it would. I know so many people who've met on eHarmony and have had great relationships, even marriages from eHarmony, but I, I really do think that we would find each other. And that, that's the thing about eHarmony. If you've tried online dating, chances are that you've run into lazy text messages, dead-end conversations, random matches that don't turn into dates. You can't get to know someone just by looking at their picture. Take it from someone who started dating their wife before the internet dating era. Um, eHarmony brings compatible people together. There's so many hookup sites out there, but eHarmony is not that. Right now, my listeners can get a free month with eHarmony when they sign up for a three-month subscription. Enter my code THINK at checkout. Stop waiting. Start your journey to a satisfying, meaningful relationship. It can be fun to play around with online dating apps, but when you're ready to fall in love with someone and have a meaningful relationship, there's one app that's built to bring you real love, eHarmony. Come see how eHarmony can change your life. Go to eHarmony.com and get started. Enter my code THINK at checkout. Once again, for a free month, THINK at checkout. You mentioned in the film, I think it's you that mentions this that that being underwater is like it's like time slows down. There's kind of like a, a peacefulness to it. What what is the what is the experience like? The emotional experience like for you of going underwater and, and spending long periods of time
1: there? Well. Diving has always been portrayed as an extreme sport. And it couldn't be further from an extreme sport in my view. Mm -hmm. Um, I jump in the water to relax. Um, As soon as you're in the water, you're just inspired um, by such life and such diversity. Um, And it's just, um, well, it's just an incredible experience I don't need to even move on a dive yeah um, I can go to one location and the the more you spend um, in just one single location the more life will come in and out and investigate you yeah uh, and so you can have these just incredible experiences um, and it is really accessible
0: yeah yeah tell me about some of the the, the fish or other uh, sea creatures
1: you've seen that you think are most unique or most uh, interesting uh, my favourite creature is the, the mantis shrimp, mm-hmm. and this they've got the most sophisticated eyes on the, the, the planet, um, and they have this um, weapon which is either a hammer or a dagger, yeah. um, and they release it at such speed that it's, it hits its target with the speed of a 2-2 bullet, yeah. and it vaporises the water wow. as it's doing that, so it causes an explosion. Hmm. So they can eat poisonous animals by exploding them. the The poison floats off, and they pick the remains. Uh, these are just, and there are so many bizarre stories underwater. Yeah,
0: yeah, that's that's great. Um, what have you seen? Like, like, do you primarily dive around reefs, or do you also do diving in, in other areas, like some deeper water or something like that?
1: Well, I was actually based uh, living in in Sydney Mm -hmm. for a long period of time, and and Sydney's got arguably the best marine environment of any city on the planet. Right. You jump in the water there and there's anglerfish, there's seahorses, there's big sharks, there's big rays, Um, and it's some of the most bizarre life is in temperate water, so colder waters. Um, You also get in Sydney Harbour the current that comes down that is portrayed in Finding Nemo, yeah. mm-hmm. that actually ends up in Sydney Harbour. Mm-hmm. So you find some of the tropical fish from from the Great Barrier Reef uh, in the middle of a city. Mm-hmm. And it's quite amazing the fact that you can just walk from a city, you know, you can land in Sydney mm-hmm. and within half an hour be looking at seahorses, huh. um, is quite an incredible experience.
0: Yeah. Are, are there other cities like that where you think uh, diving is, is really
1: exciting? Um, there's certainly other cities. A lot of cities have pollution issues, so you've got to have a big harbor.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, it's normally the secret to having great marine life. Um, other cities in, in Australia, from, um, Perth to Melbourne have all got great marine life. Um, certainly they're the areas that I've focused on. I haven't really done too many other, uh, sort of dives in cities, to sure, be honest. Sure, sure.
0: Uh, th- throughout the film, you, you, um,
1: well, the film goes all over the world, but
0: you're on several of those dives. What are some of your uh, what are some of your favorite spots to dive that maybe people don't know about or even can't access because they're wildlife uh, reserves or something like that?
1: Um, we've been fortunate enough to dive on some of the yeah, the most remote and pristine yeah. locations mm-hmm. and locations which you can't get to unless you've got the right permits. Mm-hmm. So one of those locations was a place called Rosettle. Um, which is part of American Samoa, yeah, mm-hmm. and we worked with uh, various organisations to get us out there and get us the the permits to to even go and dive on on the island. Yeah, um, and it's called Rose Atoll. Um, really, I mean, you jump in the water and and there is this rose type. Um, it's it's an algae that grows over the the corals, and and it's just a spectacular sight. But it, it's so remote and pristine that you have to. Um, freeze your clothes before even going on the island. Wow. So you have to have new clothes. They need to be frozen. Um, <laughs> and that's the only way you can go on the island to then do the diving. Uh,
0: is that because freezing the clothes kills off microbes, I assume, or something like that?
1: Yes. You just don't want any anything coming on your body right. uh, that can then go and... Um, uh, yeah, uh, have ba- negative impact on the island, sure. which is what they're trying to protect.
0: So as you were, when you were in advertising or even before that, when you were like in, in school or when you were a kid, were you interested in environmental issues and conservation issues? Or is this is this a thing that's come about because of your diving?
1: I would say I was always interested, mm-hmm. but it wasn't a driving um, sort of passion. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I certainly went down the more sort of commercial business route um, with advertising. Um, and it was really only the journey that I've been on that has sort of affected me emotionally, seeing locations that I've loved and animals that I've um, just found so fascinating disappearing. Yeah. That f- I felt compelled to act. Yeah. So... Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Do Do you have a
0: memory of a time when you realized this was happening? Like when you had sort of a, like the reefs don't look the same or there's not as much life around them. Like when you had that sort of, that that glass shattering moment and you're like, oh, something is going on here.
1: Well, it really started in, in Sydney and the, the diving there. There was this uh, animal called a, a weedy sea dragon, mm-hmm. which is like a seahorse, just about a foot long. Yeah. Um, and incredible colors and and it's spectacular. And then one year, they all disappeared, pretty mm, much. Yeah. Um, I didn't find, I don't think, a single one in a year. And I didn't know the reason why. And no one seemed to know the reason why. And that's when I realised that you can have big changes going on underwater and, and no one notices. Yeah. So you don't get the support for the conservation efforts. And then it was really, uh, with the, the scientific surveying that we were doing, it was speaking to the scientists who suddenly would drop in these amazing facts that we're suddenly having these global bleaching events, sure, um, and our reefs are so at risk. And then when you start to look at these issues through the eyes of, of knowledge, suddenly it's, you, it's, it's quite alarming. Yeah, yeah. There's a scene in the
0: film where uh, some, some divers are out in a very remote location, and they find a plastic uh, fast food cup sort of floating along. When you're out in these remote places, do you still see evidence of the fact that like human beings live on this planet?
1: Oh, absolutely. And it's really down to the currents. In mm-hmm. some locations, which are the most pristine reefs in the world, you will see nappies floating past oh, wow. mm-hmm. um, and just rubbish um, that you can't even understand where it's come from. Yeah. Um, they are very remote places. Um, but that's the unfortunate situation is we have put so much uh, plastic in the ocean over the the last few years. I think the, the statistic was around uh, something like... A, 2048, they're predicting that um, we will have more plastic in the ocean than fish.
0: Oh, wow. <laughs> that doesn't sound great. <laughs> um, no. <laughs> so uh, the film portrays this as you uh, sort of saw the film uh, Chasing Ice, which is a companion to this film. And you, you you went out and sort of sought out the director. And I'm sure it was more complicated than that. So give me the story of
1: how you, you just sort of decided that this should be a film, you know? Well, it was really, um, I'd been working on this photography and trying to tell stories through major publications. And we were having quite a lot of success at at that. But um, it was seeing the film Chasing Ice where I realized a documentary can create an emotional journey. Right. Um, And the director was so good at doing that. Yeah. And I figured if if he could make you emotional, emotional about losing ice then what could he do about losing an ecosystem or something like the Great Barrier Reef? Yeah. And so I sent him an, e- um, an email straight after um, the flight that I watched the, the film on um, and contacted him with a couple of images, one of a, the healthy reef and then a, another image of, of the same reef which was then devastated
0: yeah, mm-hmm.
1: um, due to climate impacts. And that was the moment where we decided, well, we should meet up and then it was through serendipity that we were going to be in exactly the same locations on exactly the same days. And so we felt, well, we have to make a, a film from this. Yeah, yeah. Now, how quickly does that change happen? I had in my head, I knew, like I knew coral bleaching
0: happened, but I had in my head that it took like many years. But in the film, it seems like it takes just months.
1: Or even weeks. Yeah. Um, so you need to sort of stress a, a reef really for about a, it's around a sort of six-week week period. Um, where it's exposed to um, temperatures which are one or two degrees above um, the normal maximum, um, and then that is for a, a number of weeks. Yeah, and so that's when you get the, the the stress from the heat, which is also stress that comes from the direct sunlight. So mm-hmm. this is normally uh, something that happens during the summer months.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and that's when it can transform state from what was healthy before to this bleached uh, effect where it all goes bright white and, and sometimes fluorescent in colors um, and then can die very quickly. Yeah. And what amazed us was jumping in on the Great Barrier Reef, which had bleached a couple of months before. When you jump in, it looks like it's been dead for years. Mm. The fish are gone. Yeah. Um, and everything has changed. Mm. Where, where do those
0: fish go do they do they find other places to live or do they die or, or what what
1: happens to them unfortunately a lot die yeah. um, so there are lots that... Uh, it's a you know, coral reef is like um, a city yeah. so you've got your apartment buildings and suddenly you've lost your your structure mm-hmm. um, and and their homes so they can get picked off very easily or they get stressed and diseased and die or they do uh, some move on
2: yeah
1: um, so you find the the whole food chain can move on from a location and and can be left really desolate yeah yeah
0: so the thing that that uh it's that causes this is the the temperatures of the ocean rising and it sounds like to me then that the only way to, to sort of push back against it is to get the ocean's temperature to lower and i don't know how do we do that like is there is there a solution to this beyond just like being
1: aware of it you know yes i mean so there's two aspects to this. Um, the biggest issue is the fact that we, uh, 93% of climate change heat is absorbed by the ocean. Right. And so that is the, the fundamental problem. And we have this built-in heating into the system. So we know it's going to continue heating for the next 20 to 30 years. Right. So we will lose a lot more corals, mm-hmm. even if we stopped all emissions today. Right. So we need to stick to the climate um, agreement um, that was set in, in Paris Um, that's black and white for coral reefs. Mm -hmm. If we don't stick to the Paris Agreement, there's no chance we can save coral reefs. If we do stick to the the Paris Agreement of restricting global temperature rises to below, well below 2 degrees and with a target of 1.5, we can save coral reefs. Mm. Um, But what we need to do is protect them against all the other issues. Um, We've lost 50% of coral reefs over the last 30 years not really from climate change but from other issues sure so fishing overfishing pollution all the other local impacts that impact reefs so Really, on the journey that we did with the film, we decided, well, let's look at this from a global standpoint and and see if there are any global plans to to save coral reefs. And that's when we realized there wasn't anything that was factoring climate change on that global level. There were some great initiatives on the the local levels and, and regional levels but no global plan. Mm -hmm. And so we came up with a concept called 50 Reefs with the scientists that we work with on the film, which is about identifying the the reefs which are least vulnerable to climate change and most important for repopulating other reefs. And we can then identify those reefs um, and be able to then protect those against the local issues by bolstering conservation and science efforts in those, those regions um, and really using this as a catalyst for unlocking the investment and support that's that's needed to save coral reefs. Right. And f- fortunately, we've um, been able to um, attract the support of Bloomberg Philanthropies, uh, Tiffany Co. Foundation, and also the Paul G. Allen uh, Philanthropies for this project. And we'll have that list ready um, by the end of the year.
0: Right. Right. Uh, what? What can like. What what can governments do to sort of because the the Paris Accord, of course, was a huge was a huge deal, but I think some people felt it didn't
1: go far enough. What what, what can governments do to help uh, accelerate this process? Well, I think it is that. Um, Having that focus, unfortunately, we do have the goals now yeah. with the Paris Accord. That is the the key one, but we need to be really ambitious. Mm-hmm. Um, it leaves that flexibility of of we need to restrict global temperature rise to below 2 degrees with a target of 1.5. 1. 1.5 5. 1. 5 needs to be the target for coral reefs right. uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. So we need to push against those targets. And also we've got sustainable development goals, which are really about marine protected areas. So we can bring all these... Um, these, these key ideas together mm-hmm. um, and and really focus attention on what needs to be done now to save coral reefs.
0: Yeah, yeah. So one of the things that's briefly touched on in the film, and I read a little bit more about it after I, I'd, I'd rewatched it, was um, uh, the idea of like farming coral or of like sort of Creating colonies of coral uh, in 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 a, in a lab environment and then reintroducing them into into the wild. Do you, I mean, have you followed that at all? Do you
1: know anything about like the process of that and if it's if it's viable? Yes, and and one of the um, the scientists on the team is is one of the world's leading experts. So mm-hmm. this is Dr. Ruth Gates in Hawaii, and it's incredible what um, what can be done. But the problem is scalability, right. and we need to understand how we can scale up um, activity like this. Right. Um, so, for example, it's like losing half of the Amazon forest and then um, regrowing some uh, some of the trees. Right. Um, there's a whole ecosystem of a million species um, which makes up coral reefs. Um, yeah, focusing on a few corals needs to somehow be scaled. Mm-hmm. But we do need this, this understanding now. We need to be doing the science so that hopefully in when we stabilize the system, um, we can help coral reefs uh, bounce back with this kind of technology. Yeah. I think there's also kind of
0: not an understanding of like how ancient these structures are, if that makes sense. Like, say tomorrow we somehow made the world suitable for coral reefs to stop dying. Like, you still would need a lot of time to rebuild them. Like, like how long did it take to make some of these reefs?
1: Well... Coral reefs are, have been around for millions of years, sure. and they are arguably one of the, the, the greatest creatures at rebounding um, and, and surviving. Uh, the fact that they've been around for such a long period um, is testament to that. Okay. The problem is we are changing the environment so rapidly, they haven't seen anything like this before. So as soon as we manage to stabilize the system, then coral reefs will bounce back naturally, and they... Are, are just very, very good at this. Yeah. So it's about saving enough um, so that they can bounce back quickly. Mm-hmm. That's the secret. And that's why we're focusing on reefs which are, are best at reseeding other reefs. Mm-hmm. So that this process can happen quickly. Yeah. Yeah. In the US we have a lot of
0: climate change uh deniers slash skeptics, uh including some people who are heavily in power. Like when you approach a conversation with someone like that, um like what how do you uh how do you approach that? How do you sort of come to them with, like, do you find that your photographic evidence of what's happening in the coral reefs, like, helps broach that conversation in a way that, like, statistics wouldn't?
1: Well, um, I actually approach it by talking about the ocean mm-hmm. um, and the love for the ocean and and explaining what's happening in the ocean, because that isn't a normal conversation. Yeah. When people think of climate change, they normally look up into this the sky and they go, one or two degrees, why does that really matter? Yeah. Um, but when you explain it in terms of the ocean, it's very easy to understand. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you show them the visual evidence of what's happening, it's very difficult to dispute it. Yeah. And especially when you see a film like Chasing Coral um, and you feel the emotion of the journey that we've been on, mm-hmm. um, we haven't had anyone coming at the end of any of the screenings that we've done for this film and saying, I don't believe you. Um, <laughs> the, the visual evidence is is so clear. Yeah. Um, so what we try to do is say, well, just go go and watch the film. Um, it's a bit of an adventure story as, and technology story, but you'll just get to understand climate change.
0: I was really surprised in the film. You mentioned it's an adventure story and a technology story. I was really surprised how much of the film is about. It figuring out how to make the film. Like that's really yes. fascinating to me. Like the process of like, how are we going to build the right camera? How are we going to figure out a way to capture these images? Like it take me through the process of like getting that movie made, you know?
1: Well, that was um, really down to Jeff Wolowski, sure. the director and, and his team. And I don't know how they managed to produce <laughs> such an engaging film about coral death and, and climate change. Um, Previously, I don't think I'd seen a climate change film because I thought, well, it's just going to be miserable. Yeah. Um, so telling the human stories and telling the technology stories is a way of engaging people with, with this kind of subject matter. Yeah. And the same with the oceans generally. Yeah. I mean, you look at every successful bit of communication around the oceans and it normally involves technology, whether it's Jules Verne and his, his submarine um, or Jacques Cousteau and his underwater scooters and underwater labs, et etc. Technology is that bridge yeah. to being able to understand issues and and it's fun having this kind of technology..
2: Yeah.
1: Um, yes, it goes wrong.
0: Mm.
1: Um, but when you get it right, it's it's highly rewarding.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: take me through what the what's the apocalyptic scenario here? like what is if all the coral reefs die off, like what what happens to the planet? Well, coral reefs are hugely important. So, about five hundred million people um, rely on coral reefs for food and income. Okay. So, imagine if those people lose their food source, they have to move, right? Um, unless they can find another way of, of of finding that food source. So, that's one issue from a sort of economic standpoint and and security standpoint. Even um, then, there's the knock-on impact of coral reefs. Um, a quarter of all marine life relies on coral reefs. They are the nursery of the sea. Mm-hmm. So if we lose coral reefs, it has a massive knock-on effect. But at the end of the day, that's really the, the, the small issue. Right. If we lose coral reefs for climate change, this is just the first major ecosystem on which we depend. There will be plenty of other ecosystems going through the same kind of collapse. Yeah. And if we don't get that under control, that's where we're really in trouble.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned um, you hadn't seen, uh, like, really other climate change documentaries. But do you have other movies, like, set under the sea that you really love? Like, do you have movies
1: with undersea photography that you think is
0: just terrific?
1: Unfortunately, I've, I, I find it very difficult to get engaged with underwater films generally. Yeah. Um, there's, it's about looking at the creatures mm-hmm. rather than the, the journey and the adventure of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are very few, there's some great documentaries. I mean, you, you've only got to look at uh, the BBC Ocean series. Yeah. Incredible underwater photography. Um, and in sort of short episodes, brilliant, yeah. love it. Um, but to do a film underwater is incredibly difficult for for people to be engaged for more than about half an hour yeah is is tough and so i knew jeff Orlowski had a, a huge task at the the start of this project especially as he wasn't even really a diver
0: yeah yeah do you uh, when when you are teaching somebody like that who hasn't dived before or when you're working with someone who hasn't dived before like what is what is like your first tip for like here's what you
1: need to know when you're under the water um well most people are scared when they jump in the water you can't This is an unnatural way of breathing in the first place. Then you've got the added issue of uh, you've always seen jaws and (laughs) you're expecting things to be flying at you and attacking you. Um, And there's so much to think about. And the key thing is just to relax Mm -hmm. and to realize actually all these creatures just are inquisitive about you. Yeah. and it is a fun experience. And suddenly you can fly. Yeah, You can go and experience a 360-degree world and fly through it. Yeah. Um, and once you get over those initial hurdles of the, the fear factor, then it is one of the most pleasurable experiences you'll ever have. Have you had
0: a time when, when you were underwater and you, you genuinely feared for your life?
1: there have been a few um, <laughs> <laughs> um issues that i've i've had um this tends to be Um, There was one time when I went diving on the, it was called the Yongala Wreck on the Great Barrier Reef, Mm -hmm. which is this very famous wreck that attracts massive marine life. And I was swimming along um, by this fish that was called VW, Mm -hmm. because it is the size of a Volkswagen Beetle. Oh, wow. Um, It's huge. Mm -hmm. And I took a couple of uh, photographs of it, and then it decided to headbutt me. (laughs) Um, I didn't even see it coming, so... Um, I smashed my mask um, and I was concussed. Um, I'm down at 30 meters um, and it's a tricky situation. Yeah. And the reason for that happening was um, people have been feeding mm-hmm. this fish. Yeah. And so I'd gone down there without any foods mm-hmm. and he'd got a little bit upset. Yeah. And so a lot of these issues that, you know, when you have, you have bad encounters, it tends to be because of previous behavior.
0: Yeah. When, when you are a, a person who's in kind of that, alien environment or that that ecosystem we're not normally in like what what are best practices what are the ways that you can enter that and leave it better than you found it so you're not causing giant fish to headbutt future divers yes
1: <laughs> it is just respecting the the underwater environment and you can dive in in these reef areas with large amounts of sharks and they they will um cause you no issues mm-hmm. i've had virtually no issues with sharks in in many many years of diving um so as long as you respect these these environments and respect the creatures you're not going to have an issue you need to protect the corals and not touch them they will actually cause you harm mm-hmm. if you do touch them um but that's it really um just enjoy the experience
0: yeah yeah um as where so for our listeners are probably mostly in the U.S.? I don't know. I've never looked at our data. Um, yeah. <laughs> probably they are. Uh, what, what are some places in the U.S. that are great diving locations or great
1: reefs? Well, one of the most dive locations in the world is, is Florida. Right. Um, but um, Florida has unfortunately lost a large majority of its its corals. Mm-hmm. There are still some amazing things to see in, in, in Florida, and there are pockets of, of uh, corals which you can go and visit, um, there are underwater structures like the only underwater uh, Aquarius, which is yeah the only, un, only underwater lab in the world where mm. scientists go down and even uh, astronauts train. Um, but it's really the more remote locations like American Samoa, um, Hawaii, um, especially the the reefs in the, the northern uh, part of Hawaii um, are, are incredible. Yeah, mm-hmm. and there are so many locations which are American territories that people just don't realize.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, another example is the uh, Virgin Isles. Um, incredible for for some of the, the corals, which were wiped out mostly uh, around the Caribbean. Right. Um, it's a real sort of refuge for those.
0: Well, wonderful. I Think You're Interesting is brought to you by Freshly. The holidays can be stressful, but figuring out what's for dinner shouldn't have to be. Freshly delivers fully cooked, prepared meals straight to your door, You get to skip the shopping, the chopping, and the cleanup. All you have to do is heat them up, and your meal is ready to eat in just three minutes. The best part, Freshly's Fresh all-natural meals cost 25% less per meal than the average cost of takeout, and you'll never be stuck sitting around waiting for food to arrive. Right now, Freshly is running a special offer. Get six dinners cooked by their chefs for $20 off. To try Freshly out, go to Freshly.com slash interesting to get $20 off your first week. That's six meals for just $39 plus free shipping. And let me recommend to you, if it has bowl in the name, you want to get it. All their bowls, great. I've liked them. The offer is only valid for a limited time. So go to Freshly.com slash interesting for $20 off and free shipping. That's Freshly.com slash interesting, $20 off, free shipping. A few months or maybe even a few weeks before this film came out, uh, President Trump pulled the U.S. out of the Paris Accord and was immediately followed by a lot of like mayors, governors of various cities and states saying we're going to continue to try to hit the standards of the Paris Accord. Uh, To what degree do you think the fact that the U.S. is not in the Paris Accord is going to hurt hurt the process of trying to – Slow climate change, uh, or to what degree do you think that, like, uh, sort of these individual cities and, and states can can help uh, help push back against it?
1: Well, this was the yeah the devastating uh, news and the most encouraging news mm-hmm. um, for the uh, the team that worked on this this project. You know, hearing that the US was pulling out of the the Paris Agreement on which coral reefs depend yeah. um, was was devastating. But then to hear um, very soon after um and it was it was really um, you know, bloomberg philanthropies and and Michael Bloomberg making that announcement about america 's pledge um, where the cities were coming together the states were coming together and and really addressing climate change on the the level really that makes the most difference. So I believe 71% of emissions come really from the, the major cities. Right. Um so you can tackle this issue at a level that's not federal level. And what I've I've found is there is this interest in climate action that we've never seen before. Yeah. Um, because of the political environment. So it could easily swing the other way um, that we will see more action because companies are getting behind. Um, the need to address this issue. Yeah, Cities are getting behind. States are getting behind it. We don't need to rely on federal politics. How do you make a, a giant corporation
0: understand that climate change is, is eventually going to be part of its bottom line, even if right now it doesn't seem like it is?
1: Well, I think it's, again, taking people on the journey to seeing what is actually happening. Mm-hmm. And if you see an ecosystem die, you know that's going to have major Consequences, especially when you start talking the monetary figure. So, an ecosystem like coral reefs is valued at around a trillion dollars, right? And we are losing it. Um, That has a knock-on effect to uh, country um, economics, and also um, you can see the knock-on effect of losing ecosystems at this scale. Yeah, and I think more and more companies are waking up to the issue and realizing a lot of this action needs to be. Um, really tackled at the corporate level,
0: right? Right. So you, uh, having come out of advertising, uh, advertising is really based around the idea that like uh, you can solve a short term, you can solve a short term problem very quickly with our product. Like your teeth are dirty, buy this toothpaste, and you can brush your teeth. Or you, you know, you need great toilet paper. Here's some four ply toilet paper. <laughs> the problem with climate change has always been it's this huge long term problem, and like even if it's runaway climate change. Like I probably won't see it in my lifetime, but like my children or my grandchildren will. So how do you get people to think, how do you like, can you think like, how do you use those advertising ideas? How do you build messages to get people to think on a scale that extends past their lifespan? Because we're not like, we're not evolved to do that. Like we didn't evolve to do that.
1: Well, unfortunately, things are accelerating so fast that it is now within our lifespan. Sure. Um, and we can show what is actually happening right now. Um, and from an advertising point of view, it's really about looking at both the, the problem and the solution. Right. So the problem is really not about the looking up at the atmosphere. Mm-hmm. It's about looking at the ocean and reminding ourselves that the ocean controls everything. It controls the... The air that we breathe, whether we have oxygen, whether or not we have rain, whether or not we can grow food, it controls the the weather, it controls the climate. Everything relies on a healthy ocean, Mm -hmm. and we have an unstable ocean. So it's very easy to communicate the the problem when we talk about the ocean. Then you look at the solution, and you realize that really the communication industry, it seems like, hasn't been engaged. Yeah because it's always been portrayed as this giant problem that we need to solve. Mm -hmm. And um, when you look at climate change, people often, it's as if we've had this giant party and someone's now gone and said, we need to stop the giant party and we all need to clean up. Mm -hmm. And can we have volunteers? And we don't have many volunteers. Um, When really we need to start looking at this as as a big opportunity. This is about cleaning up cities. This is about pe- making people healthier. Yeah. It's about job creation. It's about growth of the economy. Um, every single climate action story is really a good news story. It's just por- being portrayed incredibly badly. Yeah,
0: yeah. You're really good, even in the film, you're really good at reframing these terrible, heartrending things as like, here's the opportunity we have. Were there moments while you were producing this film or over the course of your time sort of tracing the the decay of coral reefs when you have yourself felt, I don't know, despair or just like you felt like the problem is huge
1: and uh, have just been sort of emotionally overwhelmed by it? Um, Absolutely. I think about two years into following the the global bleaching event, which was the longest and most severe in history, um, it was devastating and got you on a really emotional level mm-hmm. um there was this one point where we jumped in on the great Barrier reef um and we knew it had been bleached we knew a lot of corals had died um but to see the the devastation and the death underwater and then to come out of the water and you smell of rotting animals yeah um that is an experience you you never forget mm. um And that was the low point because we didn't see a solution um, at that stage. We didn't see it on a a global um, basis that there could be a plan um, put in place to to save coral reefs and to get the action that's required at scale. Now, fortunately, over the last couple of years, we've seen this real change of momentum as I see it. Um, this growth in opportunity, the, the amount of commitments that, that are coming from countries all around the world from switching to renewable energy to um, banning um, fossil fuel uh, cars yeah. um, and switching to electric cars. The momentum is growing faster and faster and faster on the climate front. Um, and we are, have now got a plan where we can really tackle things on for coral reefs on a local uh, basis as well, protecting them from the other issues. So I do feel really quite optimistic about the future now.
0: Yeah, yeah. What does having having a film like this on Netflix, like how does that sort of help uh, the
1: process of getting the message out to people? Well, it's about accessibility and, and for people to suddenly be um, essentially entertained by this issue mm-hmm. and to suddenly become engaged. We are bombarded with emails every day now of offers of support. And like with the the fifty reefs project, we are getting constantly uh, approached by organisations that want to be part of the initiative, uh, and it's a truly exciting and an encouraging time yeah. um, because a film can really change attitudes. And the more we get people to see this film, um, the more support that we're going to to get for coral reefs. Yeah.
0: Do you have uh, like books people can read or things that people can can look at after they've seen this film if they're interested in this topic and, and want to know more?
1: Absolutely. And the the, the team behind uh, Chasing Coral, the Exposure Labs, um, have produced a lot of um, reading materials which are available on their the website, the, the ChasingCoral.com sure. website. And certainly we're working with our partners like Google to get this story out. So even on Google Earth now, you can go and experience the story of making uh, Chasing Coral and find out a lot of extra information.
0: Mm, great. Great, cool. So we're kind of coming into the end of the show, um, but I do have to ask: like, when you look back on your career in advertising, is there is there like a commercial or an ad you still are like, yeah, that was really good? Um,
1: <laughs> looking back, it, it was like uh, I hardly remember any of that time. Right now, um, there were campaigns over dog food there were campaigns over cars there was working for chanel they were all great experience of working with with young energetic people but i don't look back with a huge amount of pride over the work that was produced sure to be perfectly honest
0: that's fine um and just sort of sort of finally in the in the main section of the program like what about the, under the water keeps you coming back to it like what is it in that world that you uh, that
1: you just love like what what do you most
0: love about that world
1: what I most love about the ocean is it is this alien world right um, something like 80% of all life on the planet lives underwater and most of it we will never even experience mm-hmm. um, <laughs> that's the, the the joy of just jumping into the water even in a place like Um, Sydney Harbour, virtually every dive, I see a creature that I have no idea what it is or why it's there. Um, It's just bizarre. It might be two sort of eyes poking out from under the sand. You flip away a bit of the sand and it's this bizarre shaped creature that you can't believe you didn't know existed. Mm. Uh, And that is 25 metres from your home. Mm. Yeah, And this is the magic of the ocean, is it's this alien world on our planet. And while most people are just staring up into space going, I wonder if there's life, they never just jump into the alien planet on our own.
0: Uh, Do you have like an underwater creature, underwater place you'd still love to see that you haven't?
1: Oh, there are so many places <laughs> I, I would love to go to. Um, there's a, a place in French Polynesia that has this channel with the most amazing marine life. Mm. Um, so there are hundreds of sharks yeah. um, and big manta rays and they all get sucked through. And the diversity there is meant to be absolutely incredible. Mm. Um, and you know, it's those kind of locations where you have these incredible experiences and encounters with animals um, and there are too many of them to list. Yeah. Um, seeing hammerheads, I would love to do. Even the, some of their tiniest creatures. There is phosphorescence in certain areas of the, the world where you just go in at night and you turn off all your lights and it's just everything is lit up.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, we end every show by asking our guests some of the same questions. Um, I, I I don't know how you're going to answer them, which is exciting. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> <the> fir- <laughs> but the first one is, like, what's the last like book you've read or movie
1: you've seen or just something kind of pop culture that you've consumed and what did you think of it? Oh, what was the last book I read? I actually have been trying to get clued up on... On some of these these issues on, on the book front. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a, a project called the Drawdown Project, mm. um, which is about the big climate change issues. Right. Um, but it puts them into a, a, a scale. So this is the most important that we need to tackle. And if you spin that on its head, it suddenly becomes like a guide to making billions. Right. Because every one of these issues can be solved. And the solutions can make people money. So I would love the idea of turning these, these books on their head and producing a sort of a consumer sure. version of those books. Sure. In terms of the last film I watched was Planet of the Apes. Yeah. Um, loved it. Yeah. Um, I love the, the escapism of the movies yeah. is, is what we need sometimes. And especially when you're sort of dealing with, the, with these issues. Um, love the theatrical experience.
0: Sure, sure. Who's the person you've learned the most from that you've never met?
1: Oh. Um it is probably Jacques Cousteau. Mm. Um watching those movies as a, a child, um, I learned so much, and I think that's what got me hooked yeah. in the first place. Um and it was just great storytelling. Yeah. It seems dated when you look back on it now, um, but at the time it was so influential.
0: Do you have do you have a favorite of his films that you can think of?
1: Um there was oof um i can't think of the name of the film to be honest but it was when they were driving the underwater scooters mm-hmm. and they, they've got their outfits and we kind of adopted some of this this idea for where when we did the the captain seaview survey it was about having the cool st- scooters having everyone dressed the same to make it sort of engaging for the media yeah um, as well as just doing the science yeah. itself yeah
0: and finally our, our final question what are, what are you looking forward to what what keeps you optimistic? What are you What are you seeing o- over on the horizon that you're interested in in seeing next?
1: Well, this project has been not just a an experience of that's been quite depressing. Mm-hmm. It's also been an adventure, mm-hmm. um, and the more we bring into the adventure into conservation, the better, mm-hmm. in my view, because then people get engaged. So we've been fortunate enough to sort of work with. Um, super yachts, for example, they become our platforms where we go to these incredible locations um, and they become operation centers and And you have such incredible experiences. And now that we've got the, the list of 50 reefs coming out um, at the end of this year, we will have these target locations to reveal and understand mm. and go into local communities and it is going to be a big adventure at the same time as a a really important project
0: yeah yeah what's what's the first like what's the first way that people can come to see this as an adventure instead of like a
1: big job they have to do to save the world um i think if you follow sort of what the ocean agency and and what we've been doing with google underwater street view i think people can see that excitement and i hope that's that comes across in in the work that we do it is exciting. Um, and I think anybody can look at conservation with this, this different view that we need to make it exciting for people to be engaged. Mm. Um, people generally follow um, as a society and we've have this conservation group that people often don't want to get associated with. The more that we can make this a big adventure, the more people want to get involved.
0: Great, great. Well, Richard, thank you for stopping by. Uh, you can watch Chasing Coral on Netflix.
1: Thank you very much for having me.
0: I Think You're Interesting is hosted and executive produced by Todd Vanderwerf. In case you hadn't guessed, that's me. Vox Podcasting is headed up by Marty Moe and Jackie Goldstein. Our executive producer of audio is Nishat Kurwa. Our sound designer is Miles Yule. The logo design came from Victor Ware, Crystal Stevens, and Georgia Cowley. Our production manager is Alex Ulreich. And our production coordinator is Kerry Clements. Our audio engineering and post-production are thanks to P3 Post. We recorded this week's episode in two studios. I was in the beautiful Village Workspaces podcast studio in Santa Monica. Richard was in the Vox media podcast studio over in New York City. Uh, Our editor is Peter Leonard. Our recording engineer is Che Brooks. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, uh, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, any other app. It really helps us climb the charts. It really helps us find great listeners. And while you're there, subscribe to some other podcasts in the Vox Media Podcast Network, be that The Weeds or The Ezra Klein Show or Worldly or Recode Decode or any number of wonderful podcasts podcast produced by my site or our sister publications we're going to be back next week with another interview with someone from the world of arts and entertainment someone who i think is interesting but until then remember to look beneath the waves not just on top of them